Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and this time our program is coming from our Melbourne office. So I'm not in my brilliant brand new studio. Tonight's program is all about the two R's, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and R4 reporting season. Julia Lee and of uh, Birmingham Invest and Adam Dawes of Shaw and Partners will look at the, the how, basically how they're going to invest as a consequence of the Russian invasion. And then the companies that they like as a consequence of reporting season. Which one really, which ones have really impressed them? And finally, are there any stocks out there they're going to dump as a consequence of what they saw out of reporting season? So without any further ado, let's kick off with Julia Lee of Berman Invest. Thanks for joining us, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Let's just look at the way you're approaching your investing as a consequence of Vlad the Invader. <laughs> Vlad the Invader. Um, I guess uh, the February reporting season, which has been a really good one, has been overshadowed by a, a risk-off mood, and that's because of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, a positive note for investors is that Australia is somewhat buffeted against some of what's happening because we are very rich in commodities. So when we have a look at our miners like BHP Billiton, Woodside Petroleum, we're seeing a really positive month for stocks like that. On the flip side, though, um, the conflict does mean that there are concerns around risk assets. So we have seen markets pretty much selling off since the uh, conflict began. So I guess we've been taking some of the risk off the table. We've got a, around about 30% in cash at the moment, which wasn't what we thought we'd be doing during reporting season, given that it was such a positive one. And we mm -hmm. did see quite a few upgrades coming through. Yeah, so, so therefore you're holding your, your powder dry on the belief that I guess the market is quite understandably overreacting to the negative side, but it will create buying opportunities, you think, for yourself, for your, your fund? Yes. Um, well, we've stayed overweight commodities, um, so we're very happy with our commodities-based exposure. A little bit more nervous around the financial space, which is where we've been lightening some of the stocks. Um, and for a, for a long while there, uh, since there has been talk of rising interest rates, we really haven't had much exposure to the property or the tech space. So just having a re-look at that, given that we are seeing the market starting to wind back expectations around rising interest rates, given the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. So I guess there's a, a multifaceted um, impact in terms of portfolios. And Pete, the way we like it to look at it is through a macro lens and then through a fundamental lens. So looking at what's happening within companies and then from the price action side. And the macro side of things has really driven how much money we have in stocks this month, even though on the fundamental side, on the stock side, what we have seen are some very positive updates coming through. So very much overweight, the miners. And I guess one thing that's going to come out of uh, the conflict is that we are going to see food, fuel and fertilizers, the three Fs, all very much in focus. So food today, we saw Grain Corp up by 5%, Russia being a big exporter of wheat, fertilizers. Um, one of the biggest inputs is natural gas. And of course, oil prices and energy prices have been rising. And fuel, we've seen once again, oil prices jumping. In fact, you know, I filled up my car and it came out to $122. Um, I got a bit of a shock. Yes, it's, it's a lot of fuel for a mini miner, um, Julia. All right, let's go. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, you don't have a mini miner. All right, let's go to um, 
uh, you, know, you, you, you have liked QBE lately on the basis that interest rates are going to help that company. Are you peeling back your enthusiasm for QBE short term? Yes, so we have uh, one back exposure to QB insurance on the back of the conflict and expectations that perhaps we'll get a 25 basis point hike from the Federal Reserve in March, but probably not a 50 basis point one. Um, on the flip side, you know, we have seen floods hitting Queensland and um, northern New South Wales, and they are quite severe. Suncorp Medway Insurance Australia Group in particular have been hit hard in terms of the share prices. QBE, although it's a global business, we've seen the shares coming off quite a bit. So I guess if we do see it coming back towards $11 or slightly below $11, I'd probably look, be looking at picking it up again. Okay, let's go to the companies that you really like as a consequence of reporting season. Well, the three best performers coming out of February for us have been Linus. Um, we've also seen Woodside Petroleum are doing well in our portfolio, and we've seen Harvey Norman performing well as well. So they're the three top performers, and all three of those stocks um, provide uh, some dividends as well, which is good to see. And on the flip side, I should come out with uh, our worst performers as well. The, the two worst performers that we have are Instatech Pivot and James Hardy. Interestingly, James Hardy actually came out with an upgrade, but given that expectations around higher interest rates have, have been driving a lot of portfolio allocation, there have been fears that those higher interest rates might hurt that building construction sector, which is why we're seeing James Hardy taking a knockback. But in terms of how its business is performing, it's been performing very well and it's also upgraded its guidance for the next year as well. And then Incitec Pivot had an incident at one of its plants, which meant that its share price was impacted there. But otherwise, you know, Linus, we still like Woodside Petroleum and we were adding more so that's been a, a winning position for us and you know the miners have been all pretty much on fire yeah so julia if you you let's try and work out how you because you would have looked at the history of these geopolitical um, skirmishes or wars in this case and it seems to me that if america gets deeply involved then you you tend to see the stock market really having a, a fairly solid um, for Pearl Harbor, 9-11, um, um, even the Korean War wasn't as big as you'd think, but they, these were big ones. But where it's, just, it's more like a, they have an involvement, but not a big involvement, it, it tends to be a shorter-term impact on the stock market. How do you think this is going to play out, shorter-term or longer-term impact on the market? For investors, Pete, as you, I think you mentioned, um, it is important to keep an eye on timeframes and what timeframe you're looking at. And as you mentioned, it is a shorter term impact. The longer term impact still tends to be what the economy does and what the companies are actually doing. So it is a shorter term distraction. But having said that, um, conflicts like this can have a pretty intense um, impact on the market. And it hasn't been unusual to see the market pulling back 10 or even 20% in the space of a month. So it can be a short but very intense drawdown that we see from these conflicts. A year later, though, it's mostly, you know, what's happening in terms of the economic cycle as well as companies, which once again dictates share price performance. So in most instances, the market's trading 10 to 15% higher, but it really does depend on where we are in terms of the economic cycle. I think here we're at mid-cycle where we're starting to see those emergency settings being taken away, but the economic growth is still ahead of us as well. So so what that means is a bit of volatility before the market starts to rise again. And this earnings season, I think, has been quite a resilient one for the Australian market. I've been 
quite surprised at how many upgrades we've seen given the disruptions that we've seen from COVID. So I think it bodes well for the Aussie economy. I think any major pullback is a chance to build stocks at a cheaper price at this point in time. I think we're mid-cycle, which means a little bit more volatility, but the outlook over the next year or two looks good. Okay, one last one before you go. Has there been a stock that you've bought because you felt A, courageous, B, you thought the market has bashed it up because of either uh, reporting season or interest rates or because of the Russian-Ukraine problem, but you think this is a company I want to hold for the future and the market really seems to have gone too far in belting it up. Does a company fit that bill? Really, um, only because you know I like to see momentum within the underlying yeah, business. Um, I, I find that uh, the losers in a in in the market or the big losers, they very rarely tend to be the ones that outperform over the next twelve months. Um, and turnaround plays are extremely hard to pick. But having a look across the market, I think the most impressive results this reporting season have come not only from the miners and the financials, but also the media sector as well, as we start to see that economic uh, performance ramp up. So I think those cyclical stocks, the ones that rely on that economic cycle to get uh, growth in profits are still the ones to watch. And that's because we're still seeing a ramp up in terms of the Australian economy. All right, one last one. Have, have you looked at the sector with REA and Domain? And have you formed a view? Because REA has come on a lot and so has Domain. What, have you formed a view on that particular sector? Sure. I guess when we talk about media stocks, um, I guess we're more talking about stocks like News Corp as well as Seven West Media and Nine Entertainment that have been doing well, those traditional advertising markets. When we look at REA and Domain, they tend to trade more like tech stocks. Yeah. And when we have a look at the tech space, unfortunately, it's been a really hard place to be because of expectations around interest rates. So look, I think these areas will probably be relatively resilient given that um, you know housing still strong. And even if we do see it cooling off a little bit, that we will still see a, a robust pricing model and it will mean positive things for companies like REA as well as Domain. So I guess just watching how many houses come on because there hasn't been a lot of stock and part of the equation is not only pricing, but also the volume part of the equation as well. So I'd probably be waiting until tech stocks settle down a little bit. But if you were brave, you could start nibbling now. They certainly have come off quite a bit. Great stuff. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, Pete. Julia Lee from Berman Invest. My next guest is Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners. Adam, thanks for joining us. As always, Peter, it's fantastic to be here. All right, mate. It's been reporting season and we've got the challenges of Vlad the Invader um, uh, really not only affecting poor old Ukraine, but also global stock markets as, as well. But probably not as much as we might have thought. Mm. The impact on how you invest and what you'll be talking to your clients about because of this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, so look, it's certainly been a wild week last week, and I think this week's going to get even wilder because of all of the, the sanctions and everything else. And potentially it's the uneasiness of the market and it's uneasiness of, of clients as well. They, they're all looking to us, and this is where uh, us as advisors become, or well, we earn our stripes now, is this is where we, where clients really look to us to actually give them that advice and basically calm them down. The first bit of advice I'm giving everybody is don't panic. 
Uh, we've done a, we've done a lot of work in history to look at these markets and how they've been affected over the certain amount of time and weeks. And traditionally, things markets do bounce back pretty quickly. Now, Australia was one of the first to see a lot of that those issues that happened within the Russia and Ukraine uh, conflict last week. But what I'm saying to clients is, don't panic. There is a little bit of flight to safety. We have certainly talked about oil. We have certainly talked about gold. And we're starting to look at clients' portfolios that don't have gold in there. We're certainly looking to pick that up. We want clients to have a 5% weighting in gold at any one time. So there's a couple of things. And a lot of people are nervous. But it really, at the end of the day, is that we shouldn't be panicking. And even there's some value in the tech stocks, albeit I say it's a little bit tough there at the moment. But there is certainly some value there as well. So for the brave, some of those tech stocks don't look too bad. Yeah, in many ways, I've been saying to our colleagues and clients that, you know, as Buffett said, sometimes you've got to be greedy when others are fearful. And as long as you're talking about good quality companies that have a real future, then it's not too, you have to be too brave to do it, as long as you've got a long-term view on your investing. Yeah, agree. And that long-term investing is not just three months, yeah? No. It's got to be three, five 10 years kind of thing you know that's that's long term you know a lot of people say long term is a year well it, certainly it is in markets but you need to have a longer view to really sort of get the invest the best out of your investments yeah you talked about gold personally I'll, i've always liked northern star but what what companies are you guys recommending well, it's certainly, first of all, is Northern Star. That's the one we've been sort of really been putting our uh, weight behind. Newcrest, certainly, obviously, in the big end of town, uh, we really like as well. And that's the pretty the only two ones. Evolution has really struggled of late. Regis Resources, where we're a little bit sceptical on, and that's been struggling as well. And then you're into the small tier, the mid-tiers and the small ones. So Northern Star and uh, Newcrest are definitely the ones that we are playing, plus the ETF, G-O-L-D. That's the one also that yep. we've, we've been buying. Uh, when it comes to um, energy, you know, you, you kind of expect energy to do well, at least in the short term. But do you think a lot of people have missed a real big rise that you can't see, say, Woodside rolling into the 30s and spiking higher in the 30s? What do you think? I'd love Woodside to get into the <laughs> yeah. It would make my portfolios look a lot better. Yeah. Um, look, um, look. With all of this, oil is definitely getting over $100 a barrel now with all of these issues and you know, potentially gas pipelines getting uh, blown up and those kinds of things. That's definitely helping. I think oil can get to around $120 a barrel, and I think that's not far from a stretch from where we are at the moment being just sort of $100. So I do think that, that you know all we need is just another kick up and then Woodside potentially would get into that space. What I'm scratching my head at at the moment is why Santos hasn't run. And I'm really, under, I can't work out why, you know, Woodside's, you know, gone like this, but Santos has just been moving sideways. It might be the uh, intergestion from the acquisition or the merger between Oil Search and Santos, but really mm. there's a bit of a pairs trade there if you, you know, you really want to get sort of high risk is you could potentially short Woodside here and buy some Santos and it might be a, a bit of a pairs trade. But look, I, I think I think Woodside can definitely get to that $30 mark and then I would definitely be taking some profits, that's for sure. Okay, let's go to the companies that you really like because of reporting season. What have been the standouts? Well, look, there was a couple of criteria that I looked at in this reporting season. I think we're about 98% there. We've just got a couple of stragglers to go. So we're pretty much done on yeah. that reporting season. 
going forward. And, and basically the outnumber or the beats versus the misses, the beats were four to three. So there was four companies that beat three that didn't. So still, it's a little bit less than what it was last reporting season. But I still think with the backdrop of what we saw, I still think that's a fantastic result. Um, obviously, we talked about energy uh, was one of those beats that I really, really liked. And, uh, and, and the other sector that impressed me the most was financials. Commonwealth Bank reported fantastically. Their interest margin is starting to expand. They're going to continue to make money through higher interest rates. So that's good. The second thing that I looked at was supply chain and labour constraints and uh, where the key headwinds with those were. And one of the companies that definitely stood out for me was Wes Farmers. That company actually did really, really well. The market got a little bit skittish on their result, but I thought it was a fantastic result. Dividend was good, profitability was there. So I was really happy with that. And then I looked at companies that were showed impressive cost control and the ability to maintain that profit margin. And so I've got three companies that really hit those uh, metrics for me. One was Coles. It was able to hold its profit margin and keep its costs down. Goodman Group, which also did very, very well. And one that actually beat on a lot of profit expectations was LaVisa. LaVisa is the jewelry that uh, all, the, all the ladies wear and then wear it once and then throw it out. LaVisa absolutely killed it on that sort of uh, on that metric as well. So there's a couple of companies that I really like through the reporting season. Okay, any companies that you've, uh, as a consequence of seeing what they reported, you said, I'm not going to keep, keep um, believing in them? Uh, look, Downer was probably one of the ones that I thought was DOW. Downer was a little bit on, on the soft side. Um, there was a couple others that sort of just hit the mark. And I, I, I sort of, I think I gave them a little bit more of benefit of the doubt as such to sort of say, look, we're going to keep, you know, looking at you going forward. But obviously it was the buy now, pay later sector. And we saw Zip reporting today. Uh, it wasn't a great result. I mean, the, the the transaction volume was up, but I've I've sort of lost a lot of faith in that company, obviously making a big, large acquisition at the moment. So yeah, there was a couple of companies, but down on, on the big end and Zip and that sort of mid space that I sort of got a little bit skittish with on those results. Okay, what about Tyro? Do you think the market's been too hard on Tyro? I tell you, we love this stock, don't we, Peter? Uh, look, yes. Yeah, I, like, no, no, I know it hasn't been performing as well we'd like, but I just think that maybe the market's just been a little bit hard or, or short-term in its view on the company. That sure. I think for me, this is a, a company that if it's not, if it hasn't got its own future, it's a takeover target. And I also think that... Um, I'm happy to take the Buffett line, you know, be, be greedy when other people are fearful. Only because I, I do, every time I go into a shop now or, or into yeah. a cafe or pub or a restaurant, they seem to be using Tyro machines. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we've talked about this before. I really like the business. I think the market definitely punished it a little bit too harsh. Um, and obviously, they, they had a couple of outages, I think, which sort of, um, you know, set the market off a, a, a little bit. But look, overall, I think it was a, it was a decent result. Um, the market probably over to the downside. I just like the business. It's it's machines. It's just taking a clip of the, every transaction. And Australia, as the rest of the world, is going to go cashless. And this is these guys are well placed to take benefit from that. Okay. Well, at least there's two of us left loving Tyra. <laughs> All right, Adam Dillis, thanks for joining us, mate. See you a couple of weeks later. Take care, Peter. Well, joining me now is Paul Rickard of the Switzer Report. And we know Paul has a certain uh, favourite group of stocks that 
he often talks about it, particularly when he thinks the market's being um, stupid and beating them up. But I wanted him to try and pick out three stocks he thought have done really well in reporting season and are worth supporting going forward. So, Paul, that's your challenge. What's your first one? Well, and by the way, welcome. What's your challenge? Okay, the first one, Peter, is uh, NextDC, Peter, which is a, a data company or a data centre company, and uh, it reported better than expected and raised guidance. So I think you've uh, been a bit of a fan of NextDC. It's, mm. If you look in uh, parts of Sydney and Melbourne, and a the ACT is building some industrial-grade data centres. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a company for the future, Peter. It's done a really good job in terms of what it does. Uh, it's got a great client list, uh, and it's actually delivering on earnings. So uh, importantly, it was able to upgrade guidance a touch, both in terms of revenue uh, and EBITDA. So that's important and uh, a company that's, uh, I think, one way to play the fairly low risk way to play the uh, technology sector. Yeah, and, and Paul, if you, if you use that great piece of advice that Warren Buffett has given us is to, you know, be greedy when other people's are, people are fearful, there is an excessive amount of a fear around tech companies right now um, because of interest rate rises and whatever. But that kind of ignores the future of these businesses. And some of them are more, more um, risky, less likely to be yeah. successes in the future. But next DC is nearly like an infrastructure company when it comes to the world of the internet. Yeah, and look, there's no doubt that, um, Peter, every business uh, and every provider's moved to the cloud. And companies like NextDC are huge beneficiaries in terms of being able to provide those data centres. You know, from all we talk about, we talk about disruption caused by, you know, changes in markets, talked about uh, what's happening in Ukraine and all other, sort of other places. The demand for, you know, technology services, prediction provision of, of data centre services is not going away. Uh, and NextDC is right up there. So I say it's a pretty low risk way to play the, uh, the technology sector. Okay, let's go to your second one now, Paul. Yeah, second one reported right at the start of the season, that was Suncorp. And um, look, notwithstanding the, uh, the, the floods in Brisbane and, and northern New South Wales, and we're gonna have you know, a series of these types of uh, you know, natural uh, events, um, I still think this is a really interesting company. It is the traditional sort of, and the last sort of bank assurance company in Australia, that's banking plus assurance. In this result, banking was actually the star, but um, which, which is a positive, they're able to grow their home loan book quite impressively. But as a regional bank, uh, as a dominant player in the insurance market with brands such as Amy, uh, insurance margins are increasing. Uh, and although we talk, it's a very easy to focus on the claims, what you sort of forget about is that whenever you have a lot of claims, premiums go up. We've seen quite a lot of increase in, in premium growth, around about 7% per annum. That's over on top of inflation. So a bit of an inflation-proof stock. I think that Suncorp has a lot to offer, not too expensively priced. And if you want to play the financial sector, uh, a different option perhaps from, from, some, from some of the major banks. Yeah, and it's also a pretty good dividend payer, Paul, isn't it? Yeah, not an impressive dividend, Peter. So nice yield. Um, I would describe it as pretty low risk. Uh, good model. I think of management that's getting the company firing. Uh, it looks still a bit of a takeover target or a merger target in some way because we've always talked about that maybe Suncorp and Bank of Queensland or something else would happen in that space. So that hasn't been ruled out. Um, but I think there's uh, upside and... Um, one of the more interesting ways to play the whole financial sector. Yeah, and it's fair to say that even though they are everywhere around the country, 
their strong, stronghold is Queensland. And Queensland's a growing state, without a doubt. Let's hear your third one. Yeah, look, the third one is uh, also reported just a little bit better than expectations. This is Ramsey Healthcare, Peter. Now, one of the interesting things about Ramsey is that, uh, look, it is Australia's uh, leading or largest private hospital operator. It's also a, the number two now in Europe in terms of its operations. It's purchased both in France, but many of the, uh, of the Nordic countries. So a very big business now in, 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 the, in, in France, in the UK, but also in places like Sweden and, uh, and other countries there. Now, we all know that COVID's had a huge impact on sort of private healthcare, particularly around, you know, not just in terms of governments, you know, uh, basically stopping uh, private, uh, you know, um, elective surgery, but also in terms of a um, whole lot of issues around, you know, patients in terms of mobility restrictions on patients, on employees and on doctors. So it's done it pretty tough during COVID. It's coming out of COVID, uh, reported quite strongly in terms of a little better than, than expected. Uh, Going to see some ongoing challenges with COVID in terms of higher costs. So some of the costs around things like protective clothing, but also some of the staff shortages, particularly nurses, that's an ongoing issue. But those costs and those challenges should fade over time. Uh, earnings should improve. And certainly, uh, well, uh, the thing that probably tips me in favour of Ramsey is that it's been trading in a really tight trading range between about uh, 62 and $70 over the last 12 months, notwithstanding all the COVID challenges. And to me, that tells me that there's really strong institutional support. The institutions are not selling. They're hanging on to their stock, they're buying, um, and they're expecting better times for Ramsey uh, over the next 12 to 24 to 36 months. So a blue chip operator, the leader in the Australian uh, private health, private hospital market. Some interesting businesses offshore, uh, coming out of COVID, I think another way to, to play the whole recovery cycle, Peter, and um, just look at the price action. The price action tips me strongly in the sense that if the institutions want to back it, I think that's a good reason for you and I to think about it. Yeah, three very interesting stocks. Well done, Paul. So it's next DC, Suncorp and Ramsey. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Peter. And that's the program for tonight. Thanks for joining us. And if you want to know what might be the equivalent portfolio of Australian stocks that mirror the kind of portfolio that Warren Buffett has at Berkshire Hathaway, have a look at my story I wrote today in the Switzer Report. You can take a free trial, go to switzerreport.com.au and you can see the companies that I think match the kind of companies that Warren Buffett has in that great portfolio at Berkshire Hathaway. Thanks for joining us. See you on Thursday night.